Yeah, so we're continuing our series in the book of Mark. And we've been going through this for the last couple months. We've been walking through, um, walking through the book of Mark. Um, and uh, basically, the, the, what I love about the book of Mark is it's sort of like the, the condensed, the, the most condensed version of the story of Jesus. And so we really wanted to take a good chunk of this year, um, three months in spring, three months in fall, and really just kind of walk with Jesus, hang out with Jesus a little bit. And so it's been really good to do that. Um, today we're going to be looking at uh, three different stories in chapter five. We're going to sort of, we're not going to just dive in on one. We're going to do an overview of uh, three different stories. The reason we're going to do that is because they all have the same message. And the message is this. They all paint the same picture. And it's this, is that Jesus has power over every desperate situation. That's, that's what you're going to hear today in these three stories, is that Jesus has power over every desperate situation. And that's the power of reading these stories together, is that we see that. We see his power displayed in this way, in this way, in this way, in a matter of hours. And so that's why I'm excited to um, look at, and I know some of you here today need to hear that and live into that, because you're wrestling with something big in your life. You're wrestling with something big in your life, and you need more of God's power. In your life. So I hope that you're able to hear this and receive it. Um, we're going to look at these, these situations that Jesus walks into that seem impossible, yet he's able to fix. And what we see is that Jesus has authority. Jesus has authority over everything. And authority is something in our culture that, that we tend to, to push against. But the truth here is that Jesus has authority over everything. He has authority over the physical world and the spiritual world. Uh, he has authority to heal broken bodies and broken hearts. Uh, he has authority over sin and over death itself. So we just see in Mark right here, authority, authority, authority. Jesus has authority. And so this week as I read through Acts 5, the questions that I wrestled with personally were, am I living like Jesus has authority? Is that he's in control of everything? Or there are, are there some things that I, th I maybe not like mentally believe, but in my heart believe that are outside of his power to fix and to touch? Am I shortchanging the power of Jesus? And I don't know about your journey in your life, but one of the things that I've wrestled with is what does it look like to have faith in the power of Jesus? What does it look like to live with faith? When I was a kid, I'd go to church and I'd hear passages about how um, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. And uh, I would hear stories about Jesus walking on water. And I used to hang out at the public pool a lot as a kid. I think my parents would just send me there, you know, get me out of the house. And many times I would walk to the edge of the deep end and, and just kind of try to muster up enough faith to walk on the water. <laughs> like, I can do this. It's going to work. Like, I just thought that was what faith was. Like, well, if I believe I can walk on the water, then I can walk on the water. And you know what? It never happened. Just sploosh into the pool. But how cool would it have been if a 10-year-old started walking across the pool at the Hillsborough Aquatic Center? It would have been awesome. And I don't know if you, I haven't tried it as an adult. I, maybe I'll go back and try At the camping trip, maybe we can practice <laughs> walking on the water. That would be pretty cool. Um, it, it, show of hands, anybody ever walk on water here? 
not not skating Canadians, but any <laughs> walked in water. Pretty close, <laughs> pretty close. But but when I was a kid, that's my idea of what faith was. If I believe in something strong enough, if I can visualize it, if you know, if I just ask for something hard enough, then I'll be able to be Superman and walk across the water. And it didn't happen. And unfortunately, it didn't happen as a kid because then I had to struggle with years of doubt. Like, well, is this Jesus thing really real? Because if it was, maybe I'd be able to walk on water. But to be sure, there have been times in my life where I have seen God's power in, in supernatural ways. I've, I've seen healing. Um, I've, I've seen God provide for my family in, in amazing, incredible, and, and just like right at the moment of need ways. I'm like, man, that's God. That's God. Um, I've had times where I've needed God's strength and prayed for it and gotten it. Um, there was one time where I went to I went to London twice, and both were on mission trips. And there, the, the second time I was there, I ran into a guy I had met the last time who had really challenged my faith. He was actually a uh, Islamic scholar, and he really challenged my faith. Really, it was actually part of helping shape my faith because I, I, I pressed in after that. But then I saw him again three years later, and he wanted to meet for coffee. And I remember being like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do this again. And I, I remember sitting on a bench and praying and just feeling incredible peace, incredible strength. And when I went into that conversation, I was like a chatterbox that could not stop talking about Jesus. Like, I've seen Jesus work in really, like, incredible ways. But at the same time, I've also cried out to God for him to heal people, and he hasn't. There's people who I know who are dying and they ask for prayer and I prayed for their healing and God still didn't heal. And I wondered, God, is this a faith issue? Like if I just had enough faith, would you step in? So here's the question that I want us to wrestle with today. What does it look like to fully trust in God's power? What does it look like to fully trust, fully submit to God's power? As we look at these stories what does it look like for us to trust in his power? That's what I'm after this morning, because I'm still convinced that the most powerful life you could live is a life under the power of God, walking with Jesus. I'm still convinced that living in Jesus's power involves risk and big steps of faith, where he meets you on the other side. I'm still convinced of that. I, I, I don't know if he's going to show up and let me walk one day in a public swimming pool, but I am convinced that the most powerful life you could live is one of trusting Jesus. I'm also about taking God-sized risks, listening to what God's telling you to do, and taking risks, knowing that he'll show up on the other side. And we don't always get the answer we want sometimes, right, when we pray. But if God calls us to do something, we can take that risk, knowing that he will meet us on the other side. And I think risk is a little bit hard to talk about today because a lot of us are maybe more concerned about, like, health, and we've had a tough season, and it's hard to talk about, like, oh, man, what's God calling us to do? And that might be the season you're in. But I do know that this walk with Jesus involves risk. It involves risk. And that's the way to abundant life. Taking those God-sized risks and experiencing his power in new ways. 
So with that in mind, we're going to look at Mark 5 this morning, and like I said before, we're covering a lot of ground today. I don't like to just batter you with scripture, <laughs> so I'm not going I'm to try not to just, uh, I'm going to try to really like work through this, but there are three stories, all the same point. I don't mean to bombard you, it's just the way this message worked out. I don't want to spend five years in the book of Mark, so that's why we cover, we cover some, some ground uh, a little bit faster than others. But this is what it says in Mark 5, 2. It says, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. We're going to stop there. So we're going to pick up this story from last week. Last week we talked about the moment when God calmed the storm for his disciples. So this is after he gets off the boat from that experience where he's, always, where he's showing authority over the natural world. He steps into this situation with a man with with demonic, supernatural strength, being tormented by demons. And if we met this man today, we'd probably feel heartbroken and scared at the same time. Like a man who can wrench apart chains, um, you know, and, and is, is uh, just kind of wild. Um, it says he was possessed by an unclean spirit. So in reality, he's possessed by a demon, but not just a demon, it says a legion of demons. And so just to, for sake of reference, a legion in, in the Roman mind would have been a battalion of about 6,000. So when the Bible talks about him being, uh, him being oppressed by a legion, it's like, you know, it's like that overwhelming power of like 6,000. And I don't pretend to know what that looks like, but, you know, there's an army of demons inside of this man. And before I go any further, I just want let's let's pause and talk about uh, talk about demons for a little bit, because uh, I think some of us may struggle to to like believe in that spiritual realm. You know, demons and angels. We hear about it at church, but sometimes it's hard to see how does this impact my daily life. But the Bible makes it clear that like this is th this battle that's going on is actually like relevant to our daily lives. Um, to put it simply, angels are, are messengers and, and servants of God, and demons are servants of Satan who work on the earth. And Satan isn't like God. Satan doesn't know everything, or he, he's not, uh, he can't be everywhere all at once like God can. He's more just like the head demon. Um, but anyways, the Bible speaks to the reality um, of this spiritual darkness that lives on the earth. And Paul says this in Ephesians 6.12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Um, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, both this story of, of, of a demon-possessed person and the verse in Ephesians paint the fact that we live in a spiritually dark world. There is spiritual darkness. There is uh, evil forces at work. 
And notice it says we're not battling against flesh and blood. We're actually battling against these dark forces. It's not that Christians are supposed to be against non-Christians or pray against non-Christians. We're supposed to pray against evil in the world, darkness in the world. And I know sometimes it can be fuzzy to figure out what's that and what's, what's demonic and what isn't. And I'm not advocating that everything is demonic. That's, that's might like look like that like you know what's you know I always struggle to figure out like what's what's demonic and what's maybe a mental health issue you know what what am I perceiving we have to test our thoughts and in in all of this but God's word tells us that we're at war with spiritual darkness we're at war against spiritual darkness we're supposed to pray in the spirit Ephesians 6 says supposed to pray in the spirit take on the armor of God against that in our lives. And so I'm not here this morning to say we need to spend our time determining, you know, what's demonic and what's not demonic, but we do need to be contending against darkness in the world and, and in our own lives, in our own community. When you look at how this um, demon-possessed man was treated, you know, no one was able to do anything. They tried to restrain him, and they couldn't. They put chains on him, and, he, and they broke him. So the first thing they tried to do was restrain him. Because they couldn't restrain him, they isolated him. They sent him to the, the tombs, just like, well, just get away from, from everything else. And so he was just there by, by himself. The people felt powerless to help him. Uh, he was in torment, cutting himself um, experiencing agony, yelling aloud. And so it's just a heartbreaking situation. Seems impossible. How could anyone fix this situation? You know, one thing I think about, though, is this story, this story today might not seem that exceptional, right? Like, we don't, spiritual darkness doesn't just exist out on the other side of the world. Like, it's right here, Right? It's in our cities. It's in our town. It's in homes. Like, it's here. And so we don't, we don't want to avoid it. Uh, we don't want to, we, we don't want to just, just push it out of our lives or out of our, our point of view. Um, when we run into moments where, where God's calling us to, to, to pray against darkness, we need to press into that and, and be present like Jesus because God's word says this is the battle. And, and as Christians, we're not called to run from the battle, right? Or retreat from the battle. Um, we're called to press in because, because these same demons that were, were at work back then are at work today. Hurting people, oppressing people. And if we hold on to the gospel of Jesus, we have the keys to freedom for people. And so we need to step into that. And so our call is to enter the battle, not by our power, but the power of Jesus. And this is what verse 6 says about what Jesus, how Jesus interacts with this man. It says, And when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus doesn't try to restrain the man. He doesn't try to isolate him. He engages him. He has authority. He's saying, come out. Come out, you unclean spirit. 
And the demons recognize his authority as the Son of God. This is before the disciples recognize his authority as the Son of God, by the way. And so they know, the demons know they have no power, so they beg Jesus, like, just don't torment us. Which is funny, because that's what demons do to people. They torment them, right? They torment them, they hurt them, they confuse them, they lie, they manipulate, they oppress. And so they're asking Jesus, don't do that to us. And yeah, I mean, it, this, stuff, this stuff happens. I, I, I mean, I've, I've had a friend who I believe experienced demonic oppression years, years ago. Um, where he injured himself, where he uh, rolled in blackberry bushes, you know, like real, and I was with him in, at the hospital, and, and there, was, there was something going on. Now, I'm not saying it was maybe all that, but I do know, um, you know, I do know it took prayer for healing. Um, it took medication for healing, too. Like, it was, it was multi-layered. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to say, though, that that friend is healed today, you know? So God does heal. Jesus does heal when these things come up. And you need to know that, that our enemy wants to torment us, right? He does not have good plans for you. He wants to make you hate yourself and hurt yourself. He wants you to keep from seeing the love and power that Jesus has over your life. And Jesus has power over that whole realm, over that whole world. They can't stand in his presence. And so all that to say, if you're in a dark situation, call on the name of Jesus, right? There's power in that name. And there's power in his presence. The darkness must submit. So this story ends by Jesus giving permission to this legion of demons to, to leave the man and enter a herd of pigs. It says, the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into, in the sea. Uh, so this is an interesting part of the story, right? So, so Jesus casts out these demons. They go into uh, like 2,000 2, pigs. That's a lot of pigs. That's a lot of pigs. I, when I read this time, I was like, 2,000? That's... And then they, they're all in the sea, like, wow, that's, that would have been a sight. And so I was trying to think, what can we take away from this crazy scene? That's how much God cared about one person, right? 2,000 pigs, he'll send them into the sea so that this one guy can be free. Like, that's, man, that's, uh, that's pretty cool how much God actually cares about us. There's also the fact that in Jewish society, having 2,000 pigs would not have been a, a great thing. Uh, you, you weren't supposed to eat pork, so there's kind of a shady business going on. Um, but yeah, Jesus set this man free, and this man goes from being desperate for any help, just desperate to be with Jesus. This is what it says as he leaves. It says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So you see this man's desperate situation where he's just tormented. When Jesus heals that desperation, that desperation is replaced for a desperation to be with Jesus, to be with the healer to be with the one who changed his life.
he was transformed. And he wanted to go with Jesus, but instead Jesus sends him to go tell others so that they could experience freedom too. And I would just say this morning that what sustains our life in Jesus is a continual desperation for him. Knowing that our life might not look like this guy here who's being oppressed by a legion of demons, but we still are in a desperate situation without a connection to God. That we need Jesus. That, that nothing in our life is secure, and we need Jesus to enter in and, and to walk with us and to, to secure us, not just now, but for eternity. Our hope is in eternity. So there's two other stories that I'll cover quickly, but basically Jesus goes from this crazy scene and, and, and he gets in the boat. He goes to the other side of the lake, and this happens. Then one of the rulers came, uh, one, of the, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, oh, sorry, I read this. I'm going to read it again. I'm going too fast. Uh, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So Jesus goes from desperation to desperation, right? He's in the boat. There's a, there's a desperate man. He, he takes the boat across the lake. There's another desperate man. Completely different circumstance. So this desperate man is a religious guy. He's, he's the leader of the synagogue. He would plan worship services. He's probably well-respected in his community. And you know, at this time, Jesus was a controversial figure in the Jewish world. He was sort of like a renegade prophet. And so probably if you're a leader in the Jewish synagogue, you're skeptical of Jesus and what he's teaching and who he is. But in this moment, this man puts all of that aside because his daughter is dying and he is desperate. And he will humble himself, humiliate himself, do whatever he can to save his daughter. And so his desperation drives him to Jesus. What I love about this is Jesus's response. It's so simple. It just says, and he went with him. He didn't call him out. He didn't say, oh, oh, now you come to me. It wasn't anything like that. Jesus's compassion was, was for the man, and he just went with him. It wasn't, he didn't try to shame him and then go. He just went. Jesus isn't cruel in our moments of desperation. Jesus is with us. Now, the result might not always be the result we want, but we always know the promise of God is that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he is always there with us, and that he sees our desperation and he enters into that pain. Before Jesus can get to Jairus' daughter, he's interrupted by another person in a desperate situation. It says, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered un much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the, in, in the crowd and touched his garment. So what are we dealing with? We see people desperate because of demons, uh, death, and disease right? So th these people are in a, a, all different uh, situations uh, of desperation, and so this woman has been chronically ill for 12 years, 
chronically ill. She's, had, she's been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. And it says that she's gone to all the doctors. And they actually, in the, in the, um, the Jewish law book, the Talmud, they had 11 different cures for this type of disease, ailment. And some were like tonics and stuff like that. And some were just plain weird, like using donkey poop and stuff like that. You know, it's just, I know we're talking about a lot of pleasant things today. Um, but we're just getting into what's going on here. Um, but anyways, after 12 years, she had tried all of these things with no success. And so this had been an excruciating journey for this woman towards healing. And so after 12 years of suffering, she is desperate. And so she fights her way through the crowd, and she grabs the hem of Jesus' garment, thinking that if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. If I can just get to Jesus, I'll be healed. And this is what it says. It says, And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, was it the action of actually touching Jesus' garment that healed her? No, it was just her faith. That was the way she expressed her faith. She thought, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. And so that was the faith action that she took. There wasn't anything magical or superstitious about what she did. It was just the fact that she had enough faith to, to get to Jesus at any cost. Sometimes it's only in those desperate moments where we actually turn to Jesus. You know, sometimes it's only through pain that we grow in Christ. I wish it was different. Like, if I was going to plan my life, uh, it'd be a lot more comfortable <laughs> than what, how Jesus makes it. There'd be a lot more money. Uh, there'd be a lot more leisure time. There'd be a lot more, a uh, lot less stress, more, more mountains, more beaches, more sunshine. Like, I, that's, that's my plan, you know. But it wasn't God's plan. And not that I don't get to enjoy those things sometimes, but that's not the focus, Right? But sometimes God uses—always, not sometimes, always God uses our pain to direct us towards him, right? God uses that pain to help us trust more and grow more and, and increase our faith. Pain's always an opportunity to grow in our faith. And so speaking of pain, while this woman is healed, this father anxiously waits. And this is how this, this story goes. It's, it's interruption, interruption, interruption. So the father's just waiting there as his daughter's dying. And then it says this. While he was still speaking, there, there came from a ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Now, if you got news that your daughter had died, and someone had the audacity to say, Oh, don't fear, only believe. That would be really upsetting. Only God could say that, right? Only God, who had the power to heal, could look this man in the eyes and say, don't fear, only believe. You know, he's dealing with the death of a child, he's dealing with a grieving father, and he says, don't fear, only believe. And they go to the house, and this happens. And when they had entered, he said to him, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. 
And he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. You always wonder, so he tells, he tells the healed demoniac guy to go tell everyone. He tells this, this miracle, or the, the people in the house, not to tell anyone. And I think part of it is we know that it's after, after he raises Lazarus from the dead that that's when the conversation about crucifying him picks up. Because nobody can raise someone from the dead. So I think it's a tactical move of Jesus here to say, hey, no, don't tell anybody. It's not my time yet. So Jesus, he takes this little girl by the hand, and what I love about this story is he speaks to her in her heart language, uh, Aramaic, which is the, the language of the village. He speaks to her in her heart language, and she, uh, she lives again. And everyone's amazed. This, this 12-year-old girl who had just died is now alive. And so that's sort of the exclamation point um, on the power of Jesus. Jesus has power over demons, over uh, disease, long-term disease, and over even death. You know, this is, this, chapter 5 is just like, can he do it? Yes. Can he do it? Yes. Can he do it? Yes. And the more that we believe that, the more powerful um, his presence can be made known in our lives. And I think I learned from the swimming pool, I don't think we're meant to be supermen and women. I don't think we're, God's going to have us all just walk on water and fly around. Like, I don't think that's what, what he's trying to do. I think sometimes faith is just getting, th trusting God in the middle of really difficult situations. He might not be calling you to walk on water, but he may be calling you to trust him uh, in your work, in your family, uh, in, in your, you know, um, your, your, yeah, your job, um, in, in your health, um, and in your grief. He may just be asking you to trust him. And so to wrap this up today, this is, this is sort of the takeaway, is that trusting Jesus' power means being desperate for his presence and dependent on his intervention. This is the way that I see it. This is, this is the Christian walk. It starts with desperation, and it turns into long-term dependence, right? Where you depend on the power of God in your life. If you allow yourself to be weak so that he can be strong, you'll actually live a really powerful life. If you can allow yourself to be humbled, if you can allow yourself to be, like, vulnerable, God will use that. Somebody told me once, and I won't, for, won't forget it, is that God will use whatever you give him. Whatever you're willing to give to God, he will use, if you, if you truly give it to him. And this is the journey I'm on, and I hope you're on it too. But if you find yourself in a place where you feel desperate, turn to Jesus. He can deal with it. Turn to community like we have each other. We want to walk with each other better. We don't always get it 100% right, but we have this thing called grace, which I really love. So when we mess up, we got grace. We can keep going. 
But ultimately, Jesus is the one with the power. So let's, let's pray, and then we're going to uh, take communion together. Lord, I pray that you would just make your presence and power known more powerfully in our lives. Uh, that you would be present in whatever we're going through. Lord, you know where we're at. Um, God, you know the struggles of our lives. You know the, maybe the, the, the demons, quote-unquote demons, that, that might linger over us. God, whether, whether that's an addiction or whether that is fear or, or whatever, um, control. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just break that power in our lives and fill it with Jesus. God, fill it with your presence. Lord, replace our, our desperation for other things with a more desperate heart for you and your word and your community, God. Fill us with your life. God, help us to live all out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do today is we're going to close with communion. And I want this to be a time of reflection for you, a time of you and God. Um, what we're going to do here in, also, if you need prayer, um, right over here, we haven't put any signage up or anything, but we're going to make this the prayer corner so that if you need prayer, just come over here and we'd, be, we'd love to pray with you. Um, but during this time, so communion is a time where that, that Jesus instituted, and it's a time of remembering the sacrifice and love of Jesus, his body and blood poured out. And so on this table, there are little COVID-friendly, we still have the COVID-friendly stuff. We might change that eventually. Um, but we have the packs of bread and, uh, and juice. You can take that and just spend some time talking to Jesus. Right? Spend some time with Jesus. It says to, you know, basically humble yourself when you do this and, and just, uh, just pray. And we're going to let you, we're not going to take communion all together this time. We're going to let this be self-led. So you take it when you're ready. Maybe you want to take it as a family. Take the bread. Take the juice. Um, I'm just going to read uh, in, in 1 Corinthians before, um, before you come. So would you just bow your heads and let me read this. Uh, let me read this over you. First Corinthians eleven twenty three says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, as we get ready for communion today, Lord, I pray that you would just examine us. Lord, and that we could just speak to you freely, knowing that our salvation, Lord, our, our hope, our and grace is all here. It's all in your body and blood. Lord, we don't have to be perfect because you are perfect. Lord, we can grow at the rate that you have us growing because you have grace for us. So Lord, I pray as we come today and we take communion, Lord, would you help us to reflect on the power of that's in you, but also the power of 
your body and your blood over our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.